Well, thank you for being here this evening. And if you have your copy of God's Word, please open it with us to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 10. And we will read verses 13 through 16. And we'll go to Matthew 19, 13 through 15, and uh, Luke 18, 15 through 17 as well. And just read all three of those uh, uh, connected discourses concerning this same topic. But uh, uh, let me read, uh, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Our Father, we've come again to look into your precious word, and it is a treasure, Lord. It is such a treasure. I pray that you would instruct us tonight from your word. and I thank you for preserving it for us down through all these centuries. You have inspired it by your spirit, and it is your word. We have confidence that it is the God-breathed Word. And, uh, and we thank you that you have preserved it for us and that you have given us, of all people, the privilege of having such freedom with your Word and, and to have such access to it, access to the Gospel. Uh, you have been so good to us. And now, as we look into your Word, I pray that you would speak to us down in the deep places of our hearts. Mm -hmm. I pray that you would search us through your word, shine the light of your truth into our hearts and expose every disobedient or unclean way and grant us, grant us that we might turn from those things and mm -hmm. repent and draw closer and closer to you. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And verses 13 through 15. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, or permit little children, and do not forbid them, forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Luke Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And I, I like uh, Luke's wording here. And they brought unto him also infants, infants, babies, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, 
Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And now our scripture in Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 16. And they brought young children to him. And so the wording here appears that these are uh, are. Uh, from infants on up to larger children, children of all ages, so to speak. They brought young children to him that he should touch them. And so we see that, uh, and this is uh, uh, the in the present tense, so they were bringing, this is a, they were continuously bringing children unto it. And they had a purpose in bringing them to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And the word here is indignant. He was angry. They, they made Jesus angry because they rebuked the parents who were bringing their children, their little babies, to Jesus. And he said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. Don't hinder them, don't get in their way, don't cut, don't cut them off. For, forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And, and look at verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Now, I've, I, I, I was surprised when I began to study this passage of Scripture that some of our uh, our uh, pedo baptism friends take this passage of scripture as a warrant for infant baptism, and uh, they say that this is uh, this is a picture of it. But I have to agree with what uh, uh, preacher Danny Aiken said. Dr. Danny Aiken said, there ain't a drop of water in that whole passage. <laughs> and so there's not any infant baptism going on here, but there is an interaction of parents with their children and Jesus. Now, as I was thinking about this and meditating on it, it, it's, it came to me and I, I thought about how that our uh, the disciples seem to have to have the same things taught to them repeatedly, don't they? It just seems like there's uh, they uh, Jesus teaches them one thing and then they uh, go right straight and and do the opposite. It's like uh, when I was a kid, my mom would tell me not to go out of the yard, and as soon as she got the door closed, I was out of the yard, you know. And 
And I, I still carry a scar up here because my mom told me not to go out of the yard. And I went out of the yard. And but you know the we're all kind of like that, aren't we? We we have to just constantly be reminded of spiritual truths. And the disciples were like this, you know, that uh, they have they're having to be repeatedly reminded of what Jesus said about the fact that he is going to Jerusalem and that he's going to be turned over to the hands of wicked men and they're going to crucify him and bury him and on the third day he's going to rise again and they he keeps telling them that and they keep misunderstanding it and not understanding it he also if you'll remember uh, taught them about humility you know, they had been arguing about who was the greatest among them. Jesus told them he's going to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And, uh, and instead of trying to uh, talk to him and get their hearts open to understand this, they got into a discussion among themselves about who was the greatest. And so Jesus sat them down, set a child in their midst and said that uh, you have to be like a little child. And he said that you have to humble yourself. The one who would be greatest, the one who wants to be first, he has to be last of all. The one who wants to be greatest of all has to be the servant of all. To take the lowest place. And then... Right here in this very chapter, in verse 35, it won't be long until we get to it. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. See? They still got that same thing. And now, after Jesus has, uh, in chapter 9, verses 35 through 37, and in verse number 42, he has told them about the importance of children, the importance of children to the kingdom, and the importance of children in the kingdom because everybody in the kingdom got to be a child. You got to be a child to get into the kingdom. And, and so he's already told them that just a few days earlier. I don't know how many days, but it hasn't been that long. It's just like a few verses in my Bible <laughs> before. And now... Again, people are bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless them, to put his hands on them, to pray over them. And uh, they rebuked these parents. And Jesus, when he saw it, he rebukes the disciples. He gets angry with them because they are rebuking the people, bringing their children to him. And in verses 13 through 15, they're going to have to learn all over again that Jesus loves the little children. 
And so let's think about the parents here who were bringing their children to Jesus. They brought their children to Jesus. I just love that thought, don't you? They were bringing their children to Jesus. And I wonder why they were doing it. I mean, what in the world was their motive? You know, Jesus, Jesus uh, has all kinds of power. He can heal. He has healed, hasn't he? He has healed some children. Back in chapter number five, when he was on his, uh, uh, when he was, uh, had come and uh, uh, over to uh, uh, the uh, Gadarenes and he, he uh, delivered the Gadarene uh, demoniac and then he goes back and uh, when he gets back, they meet him with uh, a, a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, meets him and says, my daughter's at the point of death. And Jesus goes with him and raises his daughter from death. And uh, then uh, uh, after that, in chapter 7, in chapter 7, he uh, heals a Syrophoenician woman's daughter who was demon-possessed. In chapter 9, he heals a young boy that is demon-possessed. And so uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is something that Jesus can do. He has the power to heal, but there's nothing said about these children having any kind of sickness. And they don't have any kind of demon possession, as far as we know. They're just bringing them to Jesus because they love them. They're bringing their children to Jesus because they love them. And when you love someone, you want the very best possible for them, don't you? And the very best For all of our children is to get them to Jesus, mm -hmm. to bring them to Jesus. That's the greatest thing that you can do for your child is to bring him to Jesus, him or her. And their uh, motive was not only a motive of love, but it was a spiritual motive. As I said, there's nothing said about them being sick. Or that they're demon-possessed. But they just wanted the hands of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus. And the prayers of Jesus on their babies. They wanted to put their babies in Jesus' arms. They wanted Jesus to pray over their babies. They wanted Jesus to, they wanted them to be in his presence as he taught. Listen, this is something that uh, you and I need to constantly be reminded of. That Jesus loves the little children. And no matter how small they are, the preaching and teaching and ministry of the word of God is valuable for little children. It is valuable. And Jesus values children. You know, uh, the society in which Jesus lived uh, probably 
saw children as uh, they were valuable in the sense of what they could be someday, but as far as uh, while they were children, they were less, less than slaves, weren't they? As a matter of fact, slaves were in charge of them much of the time. And uh, in many societies, children are just not, uh, they, they just don't place that much value on them. I read about a, uh, a missionary who was in Africa and, uh, and they were having school. They were teaching the children in school and at uh, recess, instead of going out and uh, uh, playing, playing soccer or something else with the other kids, they went out and hunted uh, uh, snakes and rats and and uh, little animals and roasted them and ate them. And when this new missionary asked, why in the world are they doing that? Why don't they want to play? And they said, because in this society, until all the parents have eat and eaten and all the adults have eaten, the children don't get to eat. And they only get whatever's left over if there's anything left over. There are societies that are like that. I spent some time in Papua New Guinea, and uh, and they would they did one of these. Uh, I can't remember what the official name for it is, but they did a a uh, thing where they dug a hole in the ground and lined it with stones and set a fire in there and got the stones real hot and then killed a hog and just dumped the hog in there and uh, covered it all up, you know, and just let it stay uh, for all night and into the next day and that that uh, hog was cooked and so then they started dividing it up they divided it up by families they the most important people the people who were honored got the best cuts of meat and they got the most the largest cuts of meat and then the people that are next and next and so forth on down until you get to the very bottom. And the widows and children were walking around and around just seeing if anybody would leave anything. Man, I just felt terrible about that. But that's the way some societies are. But you know, Jesus and Christianity has, at least Christianity has been taught not to be that way. And the example we have of our Savior is that He valued children. He placed a very high value on them. And this world in which we live is a very dangerous place for children. I was reading some of the uh, statistics earlier and I didn't write them down. I, I now I wish I had, but uh, there are so many children in this world that are abused in every different way imaginable. They're starved. So many of them are starving to death right now while you and I are sitting in this comfortable environment. There are children around this world that have literally nothing, nothing to eat and they are starving to death. They're Children that are diseased, they're dying of things that a, a 50 cent vaccination would save their lives, but they don't have any access to it. They are misused, and sometimes they're even 
murdered. Some children uh, say they're misused. Uh, I was thinking about how that in some places they train them uh, to go to war and they put, kid, put guns in kids' hands that are uh, taller than the kids are and send them out to war and they're killed in war. They are. It, this world is a dangerous place for children. It's a brutal place for children and millions, millions year after year, are brutally, brutally murdered right here in the United States in their mother's womb. There are some abortions that take place early in the pregnancy, but there are other forms of abortion where saline or something is put into that, uh, uh, that uh, placenta and that baby skin is burned off and it dies an agonizing death. There are forms of abortion where they chop the baby up in utero and it comes out in pieces. It suffers pain as that goes on. There are now forms of abortion called partial birth where they will bring the baby almost all the way out and then stick something up, some forceps up in there and crush its skull or suck out its brain. I'm telling you, there are, I mean, Boris Karloff and, and, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock, none of them had enough imagination to imagine the kind of horror that's perpetrated on babies. Right here in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. We ought to be angry about it. We ought to stand up against it. We ought to vote it out. I don't care. I don't care if the guy that is running for political office can guarantee a chicken in every pot and a new car in every driveway and a fine, uh, a fine retirement for everyone. I don't care if he can. If he is for the murder of babies, I'm not voting for him. And put me in jail for preaching. I'll preach it in jail. I believe it. It's a sinful, horrible thing. Jesus loved these little children and he reached down and picked them up. Those very hands, he loved them so much, those very hands were about to be nailed to a cross. Those very arms, he picked them up and held them in his arms. The very arms that were soon to be stretched on a cross as he bled and died for children. <coughs> his children. He calls all his people his children. He sees us as children. Jesus loves the little children. He takes them in His arms. He's their advocate. He stands up for little children. He commands us to care for little children. You remember, uh, uh, I think Art has already mentioned this a few times, and he'll get to it in his teaching in the book of James. But in James chapter 1,
I want us to read this again. I want us to hear this one more time where he says in verses 26 and 27, he said, if any man among you seem, you get that word seem? If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is empty. It's vain. It's useless. It's just a a, a, a puff of wind. Pure religion, verse 27, pure religion or real, sincere religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless. Who's that? That's orphans, right? That's children. The fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted. From the world. Mm -hmm. Chapter 9. Verse number 37. Mark chapter 9. Verse number 37. We've already talked about it. But let's, let's read it again. He says. Whosoever shall receive. Receive. One such. One of such children. In my name receiveth me. When you receive, when you take that little child, when you take it in your arms, when you, uh, when you perform what Christ commands us to do, He says, you're receiving Me. Whosoever shall receive one such children in My name receiveth Me, and whosoever shall receive Me receiveth not just Me, but Him that sent Me. He is their advocate. He is their protector. He's their savior. Now what does he mean when he says, when he says that, uh, that we're to be like little children? When he says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter Therein, What does he mean when he says, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me. Whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. What, what is it that Jesus means when he, uh, when he talks about these little children and how that we cannot enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven unless we're converted and become like a little child. What does he mean by that? If you will read commentaries. And if you'll read sermons. And listen to sermons. I promise you. You'll find hundreds of different ideas. About what this childlikeness means. But there's a couple of things. That right off the bat. We need to understand that it does not mean. Number one, it does not mean childishness. It means childlikeness. There, there is a difference. And childishness is something that we all need to outgrow. You know, I, I heard someone say that uh, getting older is inevitable, but being mature is optional. And uh, I, I guess that's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Sometimes we're... 
uh, we get older, but we don't get very much more mature emotionally. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about being childish. He's talking about being childlike. And, and in what way? Somebody said, well, you know, children, they're just, they're just so full of faith. They'll believe it. Well, you know, or, or children are innocent. That's a, that's a good one. They're, they're innocence. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be innocent like little children. But the problem with that is it's a twofold problem. Number one, children are not innocent. They're born in sin. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Am I making that up? They're born in sin. You know, uh, uh, was it uh, Mark Twain who said, I don't remember my first lie? But the second one I remember very clearly. He said, uh, uh, I had discovered that when a pen was sticking me and I advertised it in the usual manner, I got some coddling and an extra ration of milk besides. And so he said, there was no pen. I lied. You know, children are, are not innocent. So that's not what he's saying. Children are born into sin. They will, you don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to cheat. You don't have to teach them to get angry. Then what is it about a child that Jesus wants for us to, uh, to imitate or to be like? I think there's only one way we can look at this, and that is their helplessness. They are utterly helpless. When a baby comes into this world, he didn't get to choose to come into the world. He didn't get to choose his parents. He didn't get to choose. If he, if he got to choose to stay in the womb, he would have chosen to do that. But he was brought out and uh, somebody else did that for him. And everything Everything is going to have to be done for him. Every drop of food he gets will have to be given to him. Every bit of care that he receives will have to be done for him by someone else. And he will have to gradually grow to do things for himself. And this, I believe, is what Jesus wants us to understand, that as long as you and I think that there is anything that we have to offer him, that there is anything that we can do for our own salvation, as long as we think that he is, uh, 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 that he's really getting something when he gets us, then we will never even see the kingdom of God. But if we ever do like he said to Nicodemus in John chapter number 3. If we ever get down low enough to be born again. If we ever get down low enough to where we're just those little bitty helpless babies. That have nothing to offer for ourselves whatsoever. In our hands no, no price we bring. When we get to that point, we will find the gates of the kingdom of God swinging open wide for us. That, that is what it means to be a child.
Well, I've already gotten ahead of myself and In John chapter 3, well, I already said that, so. But, uh, but here's, here's what we've got we to understand. We must not think that a child cannot come to God until he is like a man. But a man cannot come to God until he's like a child. That's, that's how it is. God's loving, protecting heart. God protects children. He loves the helplessness of children. His protecting heart is drawn to them by their helplessness. That, that brokenness, that broken and contrite heart, that broken and contrite spirit, that's what moves God's heart toward us when we're in that spirit of repentance and we're weeping for our sins when we're we've come to that place where we're poor in spirit we have nothing to give nothing to offer when we are flat down on our face with nowhere to turn no power to even cry anymore his heart his heart is moved it's the helplessness that moves his heart. I have mentioned this passage so many times before, but it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture over in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 20. And if you just let me read this passage to you, and if you'll, if you'll just listen, just listen to, to what it says. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and them uh, and with them the children of uh, the children of Moab, the children of Ammon and with them the other side the other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat's the king of uh, Judea, and he's saying, and they come and tell Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan, Hazazan Tamar and Enjadai. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So see all these people now, they're coming together. They've got a need, a desperate need, and they come together to seek the Lord. And verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a king or a political leader that would just stand up and pray? Mm -hmm. O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. 
Art not thou God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and, the, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given to us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have, listen, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are on you. You see them standing out there. Just waiting for God to do something. And Judah. Listen to verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord. With their little ones. Their children. Their wives. Their children. Then upon Jehaziel the son of Zechariah the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, <laughs> nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. <coughs> Listen, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I wish I was Pentecostal. <laughs> the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem. You ever heard that before? Remember when Israel was escaping from Egypt and they were at the Red Sea and they couldn't get across and the Egyptian army was coming up behind and Moses said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well this is, this is a repeat of that. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. 
Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all, the, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. Not, not archers, not swordsmen, not soldiers. He, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, every one helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. The helplessness, that just acknowledging your utter helplessness, that's what he's talking about. That's what childlikeness is. And it's not something to just get into the kingdom. We need to practice it every day in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. We're helpless. We are nothing. We have nothing to offer. Well, let me hurry up. The time is about to get away from me. Uh, how do you bring children to Jesus? And this is maybe a... Uh, a little advice for those who are listening. Some uh, There's a couple of you here that might have kids someday. And uh, uh, so let's just think about bringing our kids, bringing our children to Jesus. You can bring your children to Jesus through worship. I'm talking about corporate worship and family worship. We should be, we, we should make worship our priority. Corporate worship should be a priority. We should not miss church. Amen? Amen. I know there are times, I, I miss church sometimes. There are times, especially when you're old like some of us are, that you can't. There are sicknesses. There are times when we're providentially hindered. We understand that. But if it's possible for you to be in church. You should make it your priority. You don't miss church to do other things. You miss other things to go to church. That's the way it's supposed to be. And if you are, uh, if you do have kids, 
And every one of those of us who, know, who have raised children, you know this to be a fact. When church becomes optional for you, it'll become completely unnecessary for your children. They will see your example. Family worship, and this is, this is some, something that I have uh, failed so much on in my own life, but uh, we need to make this the priority in our lives as well. Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then we can bring our children to Jesus, not only through worship, but through the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, For by faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Let's listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words, listen, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So the word of God, these words will be in your heart, in your heart. That's first. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So first of all, you get the word of God in your heart, and then you share that word. That word should be, that word should be not only coming out of your voice but it should be guiding and informing the way you live another way to bring your children to jesus is by providing them a good example here's a good one here's a good one you bring your you can bring your children to jesus by the way you fail have you you know, we try to kind of sweep that under the rug. But the thing about it is, when we fail, and we do as children, we fail as parents. We fail in disciplining our children. We fail in uh, the way we respond to our children sometimes. But when we fail, if they can see us confess and repent and seek forgiveness... That'll have a pretty powerful effect on them. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you bring them to Jesus by teaching them obedience. If they don't learn to obey you, they will not obey their teachers at school. And if they don't obey their teachers at school, they won't obey the, uh, the civic authorities. And if they don't obey the civic authorities, they'll end up in in a mess and so the very best thing you can do for your children in order to get them to jesus is to fill them up with the word let them see you worship let them see the priority of worship in your life set a good example for them and make them walk the line and god will bless that he'll honor that well that's that's the message
Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would take these things and apply them to our hearts and lives. May we obey you and serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.